Hey, what's going on, guys? Welcome back to the Mike Force Podcast. It is, of course, your host, Mike G. We got a special guest, Eric, on the podcast today. Subject matter expert in all things business. Uh, I thought it super beneficial to podcast him to help you in your professional life as well as your entrepreneur life, if that's what you're about. I met him at Black Ruffle Coffee, and he was setting up an optimization and efficiency consulting gig with BRCC, and he's doing the same for my company. And he's got a book out, uh, basically a way to navigate the communication and all the differences for veterans who are transitioning from military to civilian life. But also, I, I found it super beneficial for just all people from all walks of life, whether you're changing professions or industries, or you're a veteran who's transitioning into civilian life, this is a podcast that's going to help you out. Um, big shout out to Eric. Um, before we get started, let's talk about a couple of our sponsors. Our first sponsor is Athletic Greens. If you go on athleticgreens.com forward slash Mike Force, I like to kick it off like that in reverse for you. You can give AG1 a try. That's Athletic Greens 1 a try. And you get a free one-year supply of vitamin D and a five free travel pack set up. Again, go to athleticgreens.com forward slash Mike Force and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D and a five free travel pack set up. Look, the reason I use Athletic Greens is because I break my fast and I want to get nutrition that's dense and hard to get by eating a whole food diet. So what I do is I take one tasty scoop of AG1, has 75 vitamins and minerals, whole food source ingredients, probiotics, multi-mineral, multivitamin, all the things you need in one daily serving, and I use that to break my fast. Also, I use their vitamin D supplement because I'm topping off all my nutrition. That is hard to get, and you can get it in one healthy, delicious drink, and I use it to break the fast. If I'm fasting intermittently, 16-hour fast, I use that to kick it off, and then I'm in my feeding window, which is great because I like to eat. Again, athleticgreens.com forward slash Mike Force, one free year supply of vitamin D and a five travel pack. Guys, we're also sponsored by Element. Look, Element, L-M-N-T, Lima Mike, November Tango, is the supplement that I use when I'm doing high-intensity workouts, but also trying to balance my electrolytes. A good ratio of potassium, magnesium, and also sodium is important. If you don't eat a lot of preservatives, like me, I eat a whole foods diet, you're not getting enough sodium. That could be a low-carb diet, a paleo diet, a keto diet. You need to make sure that you get the right balance of electrolytes, especially if you're exerting yourself and putting out. Guys, if you go to drinkelement.com right now, it's drinkelement.com. That's lima-mike-november-tango.com forward slash Mike Force. You guys can get a free sample pack all you have to do is pay for shipping and handling. It's one of the best tasting drinks. I use it on all my hunts. I use it in physical activity, but it's also available for you in a free eight sample pack that you could try it. All you got to pay is the cost of shipping, which is very inexpensive by going to drinkelement.com. That's drinklmnt.com forward slash Mike Force. All right, guys, let's kick off the podcast. Eric, thanks for making the trip, man. Hey, Mike, thanks for having me up, man. Really appreciate it. You were down in, um, can I say that? You were down in yeah. Salt Lake City doing some stuff with uh, Black Rifle, right? That's right. A couple days teaching them how to uh, do scrum. So 
That way they can move at the speed of Evan. Yeah. Well, that's impossible. I mean, it's hard. People, it's hard for people to keep up with me, but it's hard for me to keep up with Evan. Yeah. yeah, I can't imagine. Describe what Scrum is. So it's basically the, one of the most popular flavors of project management, of agile project management. So, you know, they are definitely a product based company. Mm -hmm. Speed to market is a big part of the game. Yeah. So they should be able to get products, more products through faster. Yeah. That's interesting because that's the dilemma. I mean, I deal with that all the time, right? Yep. You, you, I had this idea and most people who don't understand business um, at all of its complexities think, hey, I got an idea and this is a home run. And then until you've been through that, that business development cycle of, of product development specifically, um, you have no clue. And it's a, it's a very, it, it took me two years of a lesson learned to realize all the mistakes I was having or making to get back to a point where I'm like maybe a year, you know, it's still, it's still complex, but it's something that businesses don't focus on. Well, you know, and that's one of the big, um, business values in scrum. It traditionally started out in software, right? Mm -hmm. So it was only to develop software, but it's been adopted across business, especially in businesses that rely on product development because the idea is to fail really fast, but you're falling forward as you do it. So you learn quickly, Hey, that doesn't work. Maybe it works like this next time. So you're showing the boss prototype. He's seeing value. She's seeing value the whole way through the thing. Instead of get the requirements, do the plan, source the plan 18 months from now, they see something that's completely wrong. Yeah. And right. Yeah. Or it would have been right at three months, but it's not yeah. right at six months. Or that's right. 18 months. That's right. That's, is Scrum a acronym? No, it's um, the, in fact, they developed it here on the other side of the mountain in uh, 2001. The work started in the 90s, mid 90s, uh, but they did the Agile Manifesto in 2001 over at the Snowbird. Yeah. Uh, about 17 cats got together and said, hey man, there's got to be a better way to do software, right? This waterfall thing is killing us all. So they did the Agile Manifesto and then two of the 17 cats, uh, 17 cats did would go on to develop Scrum, which is kind of a lightweight way to do it. It's a little process, a couple tools, and it's all about transparency, accountability, adaptability. Um, and they bake the lessons learned in. So every single sprint, you have to talk about what went right, what went wrong. Okay. The stuff that went wrong, that was really painful. How do we stop doing that and do it better? Um, so in theory, not only do you develop products faster, but you get better at it. So the next iteration of the product or the next new product or whatever is, you know, better, faster, cheaper. So. Interesting. Yeah. I saw Chris Hunt that was in the, one of the most talented uh, creators that I've ever met, just an artist, right? So yep. he's got the, he's got that talent. Where does somebody like him who's designing fit into that process? Cause it is, is this a process that's designed for the entire team to understand and be part of? Um, so it's not, we're not just talking about biz dev guys for a business. Well, so that's how they're going to do it. They're going to fold everybody in. And so Chris will kind of represent his art department, their yeah. skunk works. But, um, you know, cause that happens all the time. You know, to my understanding, I'll walk by, Evan will walk by and something lands in Chris's office yeah. and Hey dude, start developing. Right. So, um, but he, he and I were talking about it and he's like, Hey man, that's how I develop comic books. Hmm. Like if you wait until we're going to press, to find out that page 97 of a 200 page graphic novel was wrong. Like that's way too late. Oh, wow. So they develop it in stages or phases or whatever, the inking and the coloring and all that stuff. So 
for him, it, it felt really comfortable. He's like, okay, so I'm kind of doing this. I just didn't know we called it this kind of stuff. Yeah. So, so that's really cool when you see that light bulb go off. Hmm. Um, Dan Horgan said the same thing. I mean, a lot of them realize like, Hey man, we're, this is cool. We've got a head start. We're doing this. We just didn't know we were doing it. We didn't know how to talk about it. So yeah, that was really cool to see those lights go on. You're providing the structure and organizational tools for that. I feel like that's something we need. So I just hired a product developer who is um, a friend of mine as well, but uh, Scott's been hired to develop um, one-off products in survival. Like we're doing a, uh, a fire starter. And, you know, I go, I look at retail and I look at um, our world of survival and every one of them is a novelty kind of item. It's not an actual thing that you could use in, in an extremist circumstance. So you get a, and no offense to this company, but I won't even name the company, but m most often, you know, there's a, these little niche tools and you have like a, a ferro rod that's like a couple inches long, um, has a nice little orange little thumb holder on it. And it's, it's priced really well. But if you go out, if you fall into a, like, I, I think worst case scenario for product, right? Cause that's, we're, we're making equipment that saves somebody's life. So if you're planning for the worst case scenario and then you're developing to that, everything in between is easy to accomplish. So, so if I go, uh, what kind of ferro rod do I need? Well, I need a ferro rod that if I fall in the water on a hunt in Kodiak, then when I come out of the water soaking wet, I need to be able to start a fire within a couple of reasonable minutes or I'm going to be hypothermic and dead. So if you look at all the products that are uh, been developed now, they don't fit that parameter. So I go, okay, well, we need to, we need to develop a, a new thing. And it doesn't take a lot of expertise. It's just common sense kind of stuff. But I have to hire and outsource that now because it used to be me with like a, an idea and then it comes to fruition years later, but I don't have the time mm -hmm. and it's just inefficient. You taught this, the, the scrum, I'm assuming tactics and procedures and the tools. How, how long of a process is that to kind of embed into a culture or a company? Well, so it depends on the culture and the company in that, uh, the culture in that company, but, but you know, a company like yours, like Fieldcraft, a company like Evans, Black Rifle, I mean, you guys, they realized they were doing it. Mm. They just weren't doing it in this discipline. And, and you know, it's just like the, any other process you always talk about in your stuff, right? Like if I always grip the gun the same way and I've got points to register, I know I'm doing it right. I'm not guessing it that it feels right. Like I've got a process, I've got touch points, literal touch points. Yeah. And I'm just ch checking it down. Right. Yeah. Um, that's the same thing here. You've got to have a baseline process that you can You've got to be disciplined to it, but we also know how real life happens, right? That ferro rod you're talking about. It's not, if you go in the water, yeah. every time you go out, stuff that you didn't foresee happening could happen. Yeah. Statistically, it's probably going to. Yeah. So you've got to design for real life, not like, hey, this is what we would love to have happen. Like nobody ever goes into the water, right? So, um, but most product development companies, like a field craft, like a black rifle, like that's the PM we develop curriculum. Um, it's kind of in our DNA. How do you build something? How do you know it'll work? Beta test it. Yeah. Build just the minimum viable product. Get it in the market. See if A will buy it or B will buy it. Once you validate that, then go make 10,000 of them. Yes. But not until you do that. Yeah. And that process now doesn't take two years to figure out it was a flop. You knew it in two months. Yeah. 
right? So yeah, I love that, man. I, I feel like we need that training though. I, that organizational um, chartering and and developing and teams' minds, I think, is paramount because at least you have a checklist. Yep. Versus kind of what we do, we just wing it. Really well, hey, well. Mike, I know a guy, dude. Yeah, I know. I, a guy. Yeah. <laughs> I'm glad. So, right. you know, we, we rolled in there in two and a half and uh, showed him the process, showed him the toolbox, showed him, you know, hey, here's the meetings. Here's how you're going to instill the discipline. And then uh, the last thing I did, you know, wrote, the, wrote my email and my cell phone on the thing and said, hey, I know how this goes. You know, my team created a lot of these tools for the same reason that Evan wants you guys to create these tools for him. Like, I wear them out. They've got to control me with the work in progress. You know, I can think of things faster than they can operationalize them. So how do we throttle each other so that stuff gets done and we keep advancing the ball? So, I mean, they're set. And then it was great. I love it. There's, there's a game I play on the final day, right? To sh- like bring the whole thing to life. And it never fails. Some professional will be like, you got to be kidding me, dude. Some stupid game. Like, what are we in kindergarten? Yeah. And then we run the simulation and yeah. you, know, you run a sim. Like, dude, when you showed this thing to me, I saw all the components I thought, bullshit. Yeah. Like, I don't know if I can say it on a radio. Okay, but, yeah, absolutely. And then he ran through the thing. He's like, man, that was one of the coolest exercises I've ever seen. Like, literally, I just saw the whole two and a half day class. Wow. I'm like, I know, bro. That's why now I run it. Makes it. sense, yeah. You know? Yeah. So. Yeah. It's like our uh, stress sheet. You got to inoculate. You got you to gotta play it in uh, real time yeah. for people. Um, well, we'll set that up. So we provide support yeah. afterwards. Like, hey, if you run into something. Like I trained you this way, but then you saw it in real life. Hey, somebody went in the water and now the ferro rod's wet. Got yeah. it. Yeah. What do you do instead? What's the fallback? Right? So just call me or email me, text me, like whatever. We'll figure it out. You know, I love that. And they're like, Hey, so this isn't just training. I'm like, man, I would not be a professional if I'm just going to come in here and train you and say, Hey, later, let yeah. me know how, let me know how that uh, uh, beta test goes. Yeah. So we, you know, um, they had us in there to help them get better, faster, cheaper. Yep. That's the mission, man. We're all brothers and sisters. Yeah. Get it better, faster, cheaper. You know, and, and you are a great point. Evan's a great point. I mean, think about it. 30 million small businesses in America. 9% of them are veteran owned. Yeah, that's a crazy statistic. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, Well, that's, and that's, you know, moving on uh, or transitioning on. Uh, one of the reasons I wanted to talk to you is because you have an expertise in this issue of transitional things that, I've personally been affected by. I know Evan has too. We've had the conversations uh, and I have told this story. I can't remember where I've told it before, but I had this opportunity to be the security head for all the DOE sites in the state of Colorado, which I wanted to stay after my time in 10th group. And I wanted to, um, that, that whole crisis management thing, which was a supervisorial role. I was like, man, I'm perfectly positioned for that. I have a, a bachelor's degree in crisis management and homeland security, which was one of the prerequisites. I have 20 years of crisis manage- management experience as, as a sergeant major, um, you know, planning, non-combatant evacuations, crisis, whatever, contingencies. And so I'm like, there, there's likely nobody on the planet Earth that has more experience than me in that specific field because it's so specific. Um, and it came down to me and another guy and I used, I actually used a resume that I winded up pushing to GRS, the global response staff, to get hired. Uh, but it was very technical, but very pointed in my duties and responsibilities. So it wasn't sugarcoating anything. Right. 
um, it was just saying what it was. And part of my history is a sniper reconnaissance guy or expert as a young sniper who just did that particular job to managing reconnaissance and sniper teams. Um, and then operationally running that whole deal as a, as a sergeant major. And I lost the job and I was told that because I was a sniper, which I didn't know at the time, even what that meant. I just took offense to it hmm. that because I was a sniper, I had that position and role and it was stated many times, um, that I lost the job or the opportunity because they associated that with liability, yep. more liability, like the, the crazy sniper comes back and, right. um, and that was disappointing. But then I, then I realized just like a transcript, uh, you know, an arts transcript back in the day of taking training and making sense of it where it related into the civilian world. I had to do that on my yep. own. Yep. Um, where did that journey for you begin to get involved in that kind of thing? So my journey was when, when I got out of the, uh, so I was in the original Gulf War, mm -hmm. right? Come back, war's over. Clinton's drawing down forces, right? Because what do you do after? You don't need that kind of size force. So I was medically discharged. Um, you know, I'm not going to tell you I was going to stay in the Navy for life, but you do six years. You were learning how to do it. You were pretty good at it. Senior chief, last conversation we had is, hey, man, you're a pain in the ass, but you're a pretty good sailor, right? When you put your mind to it. Yeah. Um, so I wash out and I knew, hey, man, life in the shipyards, no kind of life, right? I'm watching guys break around me and I'm 10 years behind them on that power curve. So what do I do? I didn't really know how to talk about what I could do in terms of anything other than leadership quality. I was the quality guy on the ship, like whatever. Um, so I knocked around a bunch of menial jobs. You know, you're making $30,000 in Southern California, brother. You might as well be making nine bucks a year. You got roommates until you're 50. I mean, you know what I mean? It's oh, not yeah. much of a future. Yeah. So transition was really rough and um, pretty dark. And anyway, got to a point where I just kind of felt like I was rubbing my head, you know, Hey man, the wall's either going to get a hole in it or like my head's going to rub away to nothing. So had a couple mentors though, you know, mm -hmm. Mike, that kind of saw like the statue in the, or saw the diamond in the coal. Yeah. They knew, Hey, this dude needs a little bit of pressure at the right points at the right times. And it may turn into something else beside a lump of coal. So they started teaching me business. Um, take this company, this private company public, uh, Hey, go on the road show, help them dress up. And, you know, I was making tickets and I mean, I was doing the admin stuff, but I was supporting execs, getting a company ready for sale. So I started figuring out, started to dawn on me. I mean, I'm not the brightest guy in the room, but Hey man, this business thing, like assemble teams, staff them up, equip them, train them, paint real clear missions and objectives and goals. Like I, I know how to do this. Um, and one of my bosses sat me down one time. He said, you know, so you kind of make a mediocre accountant. Meh, I know that's what you want to be when you grow up, but you make a really great project manager. I'm like, well, what is that? Mm. And he laid out the career. You know, the E1 knows how to be an E9 someday yeah. if they want. The, yeah. the O1 knows how to be an O8 someday if they want. So he laid out the whole career. Hey, here's your phase gates. Here's about how many years you'll spend in each phase gate. And ever since then, Mike, I learned to talk project management first. And then figured out how to keep my projects funded when everybody else was getting thrashed because I could speak time and money. And that's what the execs thinking. Yeah. And so then I realized, whoa, hmm. maybe I could run a program. Hey, maybe I could run a business. So I would go on and get an MBA and I mean, ended up with way too many degrees and way too many certifications. But I realized, hey man, this speaking business thing, 
like not a lot of other people know how to speak it. And if they do not very well, they're kind of winging it. Mm. So if you can show them value and you quit winging it and you can help them quit winging it and everybody gets more profitable, they see a lot of value in that. So I would go on to get a PhD in finance and learn to speak time and money and help other execs speak time and money and translate strategy into more time and money through projects. Interesting. Dude, the rest is history, man. Optim Six digits. Optimizing business. Yeah. And its efficiencies. Um, is that, was that a consultant capacity for most of the work that you had to do or was that uh, tethered to a company? Um, so I was at DOD at the time when it all kind of formalized and crystallized. Um, so I was supporting a number three guy in the agency. It was a, a DOD component, mm -hmm. about 13,000 people global. Um, and finished the PhD and universities like, Hey, you want to keep teach? Okay. So mm -hmm. took a big cut in pay, but the quality of life immediately went way up, you know, 65 hour weeks were over. Um, turned that campus around through project management skills, general management skills, running a PNL, that kind of stuff. And then, um, thought, yeah, I teach other people how to do this, man. Let's see if I can go pass the test. So I started a company that one failed miserably, mm -hmm. but you know, that's the PM did not. So here we are six years later, multimillion dollar company helped over 4,000 vets. They're all making 85, 95,000 a year, man. So that's, um, so I, I get the, there's a, a sense that like an organizational militaristic mind is not just technical and tactical, but the ability to plan, the ability to adapt and shape, task organize, yep. which which obviously um, um, is a huge impact and a huge uh, benefit for military members that they don't realize that there's talent in. I mean, yep. you go into even running a company or or going into the workforce, you realize really fast. Um, not many people have experiences to lean on to make them better at their job. That's right, and so. It just makes sense to me that that's that's a great the greatest start point, it's, especially for entrepreneurship, specifically because if you start a business, all of the things that you likely sorted in the military, are you're going to have some kind of correlated experience to be able to thrive, um, which we we have the advantage. Yep. Now, tell me about vets to PM. Tell me about the business, and then what do you guys do? Like, how does that structure work when you're helping vets get jobs? Okay, so we're uh, a training and placement shop who happens to do a lot of marketing and product development, right? And basically what we do, Mike, is we have a four-step process. So step number one is I got to teach the veteran how to translate their experience. Because here's the reality. I mean, you said it. Hey, I'm Sergeant Major. I got tactical experience running teams. I'm also running shops. Um, so you have operational managerial experience. You can run a unit, an organization, whatever. And you know what, you know how to talk tactically. You know what your strategic decisions, what impact they'll have on the, mm. on the guy on the front line shop floor, whatever yeah. you want to call it. Right. Yeah. So you have experience running operations, holding down forts. And you also have experience in the field, training, running missions, running training exercises, whatever. So that's specialized experience or your team sergeant or uh, you're the team commander, whatever you have specialized experience. Mm. You can talk about that in terms of HR. You can talk about that in terms of project management. You can talk about it in terms of general management. Um, and then you get a couple civilian credentials that kind of codify or certify that experience is legitimate. Mm. Now, when you present to the civilian hiring official, it's not Mike sniper guy with 20 plus years, Sergeant major. It's Mike guy who gets stuff done in an organization with limited resources, I'm going to give you an ROI 10X. Mm. Want to talk? 
You know what I mean? Because yeah. now you're talking their language. And I, you know, I tell vets all the time, I'm like, hey, bro, I'm not trying to tell you not to let them know you're not a vet, right? You are what you are. But let them know that at the company picnic over a beer after they've hired you and you're making a buck oh five. Yeah. You know what I mean? A year, yeah. 105,000, right? So, um, so step one was you teach them how to translate. We then train them to get the credentials that a hiring manager will see, oh, that's a business degree. That's an HR thing. That's whatever. Okay. There's the certificate that somebody else certified them in. So it decreases their hiring risk. While they're doing that training, we also write them a two page resume. We give them a four hour interview oh. skills workshop. We teach them how to use LinkedIn, you know, Hey, use LinkedIn network. Okay, great. I've never even, I don't even have an account. What does that even mean? Mm. We got a four hour workshop for them. Paint your LinkedIn profile by numbers. Step one, step two, step wow. in. Um, and then we give them lifetime career placement assistance. You go into construction and four years later, you want to go into pharma. Cool. Pick up the pharma book. You got to learn to speak. You know, you got to know what FDA means, that kind of stuff. But you have a high aptitude for training. Mm. You learn and apply fast. You know, like, uh, think of Kevin at, at Black Rifle, right? The, yeah. You know, he, he's learning cardio week one and the next week he's taking a national registry test on mm -hmm. it, right? Yeah. So we have the aptitude. Mm -hmm. So that's really kind of the magic trick. And most of our guys and gals can do that in 90 days, 120 days flat. And they show up suit and tie. They look, they sound like a civilian. They see credentials that says there are, that 20 year resume says that's what they are. I'm interviewing you. Wow, it's it's incredible because um, what I've what I think what the military has failed to recognize is when you look at even just post traumatic stress, a lot of like the post traumatic stress, especially in my community, special operations, is associated with the loss of purpose, not specific trauma, because they're going through trauma as they get out because there's no path. There's no direction. And even if you ACAP, it's all check the block, right? Yep. And the Army's probably the poorest at it. I mean, they're not very good. I mean, because I went through the Army process. It's probably changed since I got out. But um, they're not setting their guys up for uh, success. It's actually, it seems like they're almost intentionally setting them up for failure. And I've been in a lot of, like I was in a brief with um, USOC, uh, USASOC, U.S. Army Special Operations Command with Norwich University. And looking at translating military type operator type training and converting it into academic uh, equivalents, and it's just uh, every at every path and angle, it, it's a poor thing. Yep. Um, so when you when you have your organization, are you tethered into a military service or branch that is allowing you access? Or is this something that's happening after the trans or after they've, you know, they see Fort Bragg in the rearview mirror? So when we first started, it was everybody was right at the bang, the transition bang. Now about 70% of our guys and gals are left at the transition bang. Uh, cool, Army CA, all kinds of stuff. And we are on the last lap of approval towards, towards uh, state of Florida uh, Department of Education approval. Mm. Um, and that is one of the last major hurdles to get the VA. Yeah. The G, so they could use their uh, GI Bill. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's so, so a lot of our guys and gals going through left of the bang are either active or they're within two years of their, their final date. And we get them through a Skillbridge program. We're doing about 60, 70 Skillbridge folks a month. Um, and we can deploy them all over the states. They don't have to be within 50 miles of a base. If you get in there for six weeks and you decide you don't like the culture, I can yank you out. I can parachute you into someplace else. 
and I can give them another intern. So, so what's the, what's the skill? Uh, Cause I, I even need to know this, but what is the skill bridge program? Cause I know one of my guys, Austin yeah. kind of went through that and I understand it from a, a an executive position and hiring him through the military, yep. but what's the whole. So it's fantastic. So uncle sugar takes care of them, keeps them on the payroll, uh, Workman's comp, SGLI, all that stuff. There's zero risk to the employer. Mm. Uh, you get free labor. You just can't bill them out. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you can't pay them. That's right. Yeah. Cause they're already getting paid. Yeah. Um, so, um, but they get, if you give them meaningful work, you being the host site company, um, and we teach our host sites how to take care of them. Hey, you don't care and feed for my folks. Well, I'm gonna come get them back. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I'm gonna go put them somewhere where I know they care and feed for them. Well. Yeah. Because what I'm trying to do is get them 90 to 120 days of legitimate OJT. Mm. I can show you a project I ran. I can show you a HR benefits package I created. I can show you something civilian of value because you do this. Yeah. And oh, by the way, I got the certificate to prove it. Somebody else, third party independent said I am that. So for us, that's what it really does is uh, you get specialized talent to fill in gaps in your own lines, but it doesn't cost you a dime. And there's zero hiring risk. And oh, by the way, it probably strengthens your workforce because you literally are test driving potentially your next new hire. And when you hire them, we work with a company called Veterans Tax Credit. They do all the DOL certification stuff. So when our vets present to the hiring organization, they come with a $9,600 tax credit too. Hmm. So, you know, it just, it makes economical sense. It makes tactical sense to, test drive these folks and, and then hire them. Yeah, and that's I, the only commitment is hundred percent higher. You gotta, you gotta interview them yep. whether you hire them or not. Yeah. It's, I hired the Austin two years ago did this and was with us for four to six months yep. as an intern. And then he was learning the rope to media, not a media guy, but yep. took, took it on really fast. And he's been work, working with us for two years. His wife's employed full time. She's my logistics manager cool. as well. Cool, cool. So it's, it's, I, I like those stories and, and I wish, you know, I had something like that when I was going through as well, because I would have took advantage of that opportunity. Um, I noticed um, there's obviously the military in all of, uh, all of its diversity and different jobs, positions, people's experiences in different roles. And we were talking a little bit about like the, the operator idea and not to, not to um, um, prioritize that over anybody else, but my community comes from that. And I'm just curious yep. personally, when you take a guy, uh, maybe it's like myself or like Evan, who has a lot of uh, strategic uh, experience, you know, I brief generals of CENTCOM, AFRICOM, yep. CIA directors, a whole bunch of people. How do you translate the specific uh, uh, service members' um, time via their position and what does that look like for somebody who's an operator? Because it seems like they're so diverse in so many things, they would be well suited for, I don't know, anything like executive positions, you know, like how do you, how do you determine that path? Yeah. So good question, Mike. So a lot of the guys and gals we work with are E70506, right? Um, and they're from applied fields and um, so senior guys, yeah, yeah, yeah. senior gals. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And we've helped them, um, make that transition into corporate America. Uh, and the way we do it really is we, we, they already have these hard and soft skills. We just make them aware 
hey, list these hard and soft skills or read this list of hard and soft skills. Do you see any you recognize? Oh, you do. You can talk about those in an interview. And here's another thing too. In my experience working with thousands of veterans a year, we have, most of us have a pretty high integrity threshold. So that causes a couple problems for us. We don't talk about ourselves very well. We talk about what our teams did. They don't want to know what your team did. They want to know what you did. The assumption is you did that through a team, but I'm hiring you. What are you going to do? The other thing is if I was never called a project manager, if I was never called an HR specialist, I was called a first shirt or a top, I'm not going to identify as that. And I don't want to be an imposter because of my integrity. So I'm not going to talk like that. So you get in this interview and that's what they're hiring, but that's not what they hear. And here's the other thing too. You're a, you know, you're talking about the ability to brief a GO. That goes a long way in the civ div, the civilian labor force. That's what I call it, right? But if you don't know how that's valued, you don't uh, know how to present that, then, then you're not going to say that, right? And if you walk in and you say, hey, I was, uh, you know, E9, I was the sergeant major, I was the colonel. That's great. It's not that you don't have the hard and soft skills, the capability, the capacity to walk into that role. But in that interview, if you're interviewing for a mid to senior level, Mike, I'm going to ask you if you've ever looked at a PL. If you look at me blankly, that interview's over, brother, regardless of how many more minutes transpire on the clock. Because the profit and loss statement is how I measure your fiduciary performance. And as a manager of an organization, you're an agent of my organization. If you can't operate your own scoreboard and tell me whether you're helping me grow my company or not, you can't lead anything in the Civ Div, whether you have the capacity to do it or not. So that, those realizations, those light bulbs going off is, oh, I'm not an imposter. But I'd better go figure out what a PL is real quick. I mean, that's why I wrote the book, How to Speak Civilian Fluently. It literally lays all that stuff out. Hey, IMTO, this is what they call it in a civ div. Work breakdown structure, line of effort chart. Like it, you know, it's it's a crosswalk. Yeah, it's interesting because I'm, you know, you know, I'm a CEO of a company that's got about 40, 50 employees. And I still know that I still need to navigate this this language barrier um, constantly. Right. Even the, even the, even when you say like, um, if you're not managing your own, um, value in your proposition to the company, because you're not tracking analytics, I didn't even realize, and I, even right now in recent, uh, in recent history, I'm realizing, like, man, if you don't track that you're losing, I mean, and you're going to lose out potentially to the point where you're out of business. Yep. So if you're not balancing like who, what, what positions I'm making, if they don't bring very distinct and analytical metric uh, tied value to the company, then you're just making things up. And yep. in, in a task org world in the military, you can get away with it because the, the, the consequence isn't going out of business. It's, it's more debt, which is not monetarily tied, but it's you know, more debt and more uh, fat that you got to trim at a latter time. But now I'm understanding in business, especially with these inventory woes and doing product development and working with sportsmen and all these companies, like, man, I got to have this switched on. So it's like a, yep. 
it's not only like an initial or advanced individual training. It's like you have to be constantly engaged in this process um, because it, one, it's changing constantly. Um, but two, especially if you're starting late in the game, like military people are, um, they, they need to stay on top of the books and, and what's happening in business. You know, and, it, and I hate to say, so I'm a business geek, right? So I hate to say it's a matter of life and death, but think about it. You know, you're the CEO of Fieldcraft and Bo, by the way, man, it's, it's an awesome treat to be sitting here in Fieldcraft. But y- you know, if, if you're not a charity, you're not a 501c3, people aren't writing you checks, right? If you don't sell stuff, if you don't create customer demand in the marketplace, you go out of business. Yeah. Do you die? I don't know, but you don't have a paycheck, so you could starve out. Now, you guys, you know, knowing what to do in the wild probably wouldn't, but you're going to have to go work for somebody. Yeah. I, well, why not work for yourself? But, but the, your, your point is well made. It's just like anything else. You got to identify your workspace. You got to identify your processes. You got to know whether you're being disciplined to them or not being disciplined to them. You got to repeat them. And it's not to say you can't ever deviate. Sometimes the situation that slams into your plan you better deviate or you're yeah. going to go under, but you got to know what you're deviating from and how long you're going to deviate. So you know when to get back yeah, or how to get back, you know, Hey, where'd I last lose the trail? That kind of thing. Yeah. You know? and I, it's, it's, it's crazy. Cause I, when I started business, I was afraid to pay attention to the details. Right. So I was afraid to like, to pull back the veil and go, Hey, what is, what is happening exactly? And I've noticed that, the more I've done that, the more successful our decision-making, our, our, our scale, all of those things have benefited us because of that really honest approach. And, and, you know, it's like a military organization or a unit. You could mask the fact that your team guys aren't efficient in their job, or you have guys that are overweight or physically not capable. Um, or you could have the hard conversation and be like, listen, this is a, there's a reason we have standards. And I was always the standards guy, right? And, and I, I could compromise a lot of things on the right side of standard or, or meeting the standard. And so even, even of recent, what was it? Uh, I, was talking to, uh, I was talking to my leather guy about American-made things. And uh, a, a lot of misinformation exists in, in, in customer markets because they're like, everything you make should be made in the USA. Um, as they're texting it or trolling yeah, yeah, it on, yeah, yeah, on yeah. the Chinese phone, <laughs> cell phone. I, but it's like, that, that's a, whenever I hear that immediately, I think, well, the person has no clue uh, or understanding about how business operates yep. or how, how they work. And if I follow what I compassionately believe in full scale, I'd be out of business yep. because that's not how it works. So you could be the prideful veteran who's like, two-way American-made, this is, this is the, the rock I'm going to die on, and you're going to die on that rock. It's like yeah. you're, you're already dead. Or you could understand that this business thing, there's a lot that you don't know. Educate yourself and then navigate that um, the best way you can, and w- which is what I do. I, I constantly have to flex and adapt. And, and some, peop- some people think me and Evan, um, who are cut from the same cloth, have like this ADHD but what it is, is we're constantly contingency-based planning and adapting fluidly to circumstance to yep. make sure that we, our businesses are never going away. That's right. And others that don't, they very quickly and effectively go out of business. Uh, and that, 
that's what the best thing about the military mind, I think, is. It's adapt and do as much good as you can, yeah. right? Yeah. Hey, it may not be exactly the way I want to do it, but what General Washington always say, right? Like, hey, the, you need to assess the battlefield like it is, not like you'd like it to be. Yeah. Because that's how you need to operate, right? So, um, y- you know, do as best you can. And the, and the reality, too, is you don't have to be the expert. Mm. It's not a sign of weakness. You're not. I, I have... HR directors and CFOs and, and people tell me this all the time when I'm having dinner with them out on the road. Uh, they, they say, you know, hey, tell your vets, man, they can break stuff. We'll clean it up. Mm. But they got to ask, like, if they don't know how to do something, don't roll out, go to the customer client site, our top third biggest customer, and put something so sideways that we can't put it back together. Yeah. Ask us for help. Yeah. I've got an entire accounting department. You don't know what cost account it means? But take one of them to lunch, find out. And if you find out that you don't like cost accounting, go hire one, man. I mean, it's your team. And you know that, you know, and that skill set's no different from being a sergeant major, being the CEO, right? Mm. Uh, and so that's the cool part, too. In my humble opinion, brother, I think the whole entrepreneurship blows up the whole SNCO, JMO, SMO. Like, hey, man, we're all making executive decisions at that level. Yeah. I got people on payroll. I got customers to serve in the marketplace. I've got suppliers and vendors depending on me. I'm depending on them. I mean, like you, like you always say, I'm creating these ecosystems, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, when you start talking about that kind of gravity, you don't have to be the expert. Yeah. If you realize, hey, I've got a blind spot, hire somebody. I mean, I was once told by my CFO, I swear this lady was the brightest woman I've ever met. She was just like, I swear she had a photographic memory, Mike. Mm-hmm. But she said, look, son, I hired you for three reasons. I don't know how to do what you know how to do. I don't want to do what you do, or I don't have time to do what you do. Yeah. And frankly, it's none of your business, which one of those three are. Yeah. Just do what I hired you to do. And if you exceed my expectations, I'm going to make sure you get taken care of. Mm. Um, and so that happened early on in my career. And that's kind of one of the, you know, the planks I've built my philosophy on is I don't have to be the expert. If I realize I've got a blind spot and I can't fix it, don't want to fix it, or don't have time to fix it. Mm. Go find somebody to help me fix it. Hey, stand in that blind spot and make sure we don't take one from there. Mm. And you build a really great team that way because now everybody's on a team and everybody feels like they've got a role to play and they kind of take, they move less employee mindset and more ownership mindset. That's what I like. Yeah. And I'm, I've, I mean, I've been uh, criticized on one end and then uh, positively affirmed on the other end, which is I grew up in special operations. I mean, I grew up in the infantry, but I grew up most of my operational life in special operations where I trusted and, and, and empowered my subordinates versus micromanaging the wrong people, right? Yep. So when I, you know, as a CEO, I have, you know, lateral team building efforts where it's me and the team, and I don't like supervising or over managing employees. So then when I have employees who are, you know, they do a labor task or whatever it is, I have an expectation, but often because of that specific relationship, um, I didn't realize, oh, you have to have a guy to manage that person. Yeah. And then, and then I realized, well, that person can't be me because it, it's so taxing. So then I have to have a, a COO who manages and operates processes. And so it's crazy because all the things that I thought about business and its relationship, I've learned every single month almost something changes. And I'm like, well, dude, now 
thank God I'm uh, adaptable yep. because if I wasn't, I'd be out of business. Because yeah, yeah. Everything, everything I did uh, with a training company um, and new changed. And then you add in products and it's a whole new business model. And you're like, okay, well, here we go. And man, it's crazy. Um, what's the start point for a veteran who wants to do something like this and they want to get more educated, more involved? Do they talk to admin in, in the military or do they reach out and there's like a institution that could help them? Do they go to your company website? Like what's the, what's the process for all this? Well, brother, so that's going to be a super biased answer, right? Considering what I do for a living. But here's, here's where I would start. We created a, a workbook. You can download it on the website for free, uh, vets2pm.com forward slash less stress. Program manager is PM. Is that where that? PM it was vets to professional managers. Now oh, okay. we've evolved. And in fact, um, it, my, my team may kick me in the shin for this when I get back to Florida on the ground. But we, uh, once we're certified Florida DOE, uh, good Lord willing that comes through, uh, we are the Veteran Transition Academy brought to you by Vets the PM. So, um, and the whole idea is, here's, here's what I tell folks, Mike. First of all, folks in the military, to include career counselors, career field managers, whatever service you were in, whatever they call them, their job is readiness and retention. Once we've determined you're past the readiness and retention point, even if you're a retiree, you're no longer wearing an active uniform. Mm. So you're not my mission set anymore. Mm. We can still be buds. We'll stay in touch on LinkedIn for 20 years, but you're not my mission set anymore. Which means you get passed off to DOL, Department of Labor, and or Veterans Affairs. Mm. And most of the folks you're going to run into, Mike, are in the positions where you would think they should be guides on the side. Like they're going to give you flashlights for the uh, batteries for the flashlight and they're going to give you a map and they're going to help you stay on the path at night when it gets dark. That may or may not happen. It just depends on the caliber of the person you get in front of. So here's what I tell people. Step one, man, write down. You got to be candid too, though. Like you got to look yourself in the mirror. Take a piece of paper, eight and a half by 11. One side is all the stuff I loved about my last position, my last role, my last rank, my last unit, whatever. Turn it over on the back. Here's all the stuff I hated. Here's all the stuff I can't wait to never do again. Mm. I don't like running, brother. So the day I didn't have to run anymore, now I just swim and surf a lot. You know what I mean? So mm. I figured out a way to PT that I like to PT and it wasn't, you know. So keep that list handy as you go to step two. Step two is then go read job descriptions. Type in what you think you want to be when you grow up. Type it into a LinkedIn or an Indeed or a monster.com or whatever. And look at the job descriptions, not the titles, brother, because every company calls you something different. Yeah. Most of the time, most of the project management jobs I've ever held, brother, I was never called a project manager. Mm. I was called something manager, but he's got this project management super skill set, like throw projects at him too, right? So step two is find job descriptions that you know intuitively you can do. You may not talk about what you can do, your capability in those terms, but you're going to learn how. I'll show you in step three. But what you're looking for is simply, does that job description have the keywords in it that I dig? And if that answer is yes, but there's some I don't, throw that one away. Hmm. If it's full of the ones you don't dig, man, don't go climbing a barrel doing something you don't, you're going to hate. Find the ones that you like. Step two, go look at the preferred and required qualifications. It'll have degrees. It'll have credentials. It'll have certificates. That's the magic trick. That's the mechanics behind the magic trick. Uh, 
if it's an HR position, if it's an instructional designer position, if it's a manager of X, hey, so I read it. I know I can do it. It's got keywords I know I dig. So I would be great at it, which means I'm going to be super productive. So I'm going to be a superstar. I'm going to run circles around whatever civilian they put me up against. Then step three is now I go find those bodies of knowledge or those textbooks or those whatever books that have those words in it. And I learn how to say, ran a battalion, nobody cares. Or I quit saying, hey, had a 300 person head count with a $5 million property book. Dude, so did everybody else who had that same role. Mm -hmm. And you're just like all 500 other people that had that role at one point in their career. What did you do with that? What was the problem you faced? What was the solution you and your team came up with and delivered? And what was the awesome result and value that the company got from what you did with those resources? Mm. So now you have this resume or this LinkedIn full profile full of cool keywords. You're speaking with passion and power. It's all translated. You have a credential or two that validates or certifies, literally certifies that experience is valid. So now if I'm a hiring manager, especially if I'm a lazy one, the boss said, I need a project manager. I look at Mike's resume. It looks like 20 years of project management stuff to me. That's what it sounds like. Oh, and somebody else said he's a project manager. There's a PMP or a PSM or whatever the credential of the day is. I'm interviewing Mike for a project manager. And I don't have to worry about the X and O checkbox stuff. He's got that. I can interview him for culture and fit. I can interview him about the stuff that's really going to matter. And you can interview them for the stuff that's going to matter. Do I even want to work for this outfit? Right? So that's literally how you can reduce a bit of stress. Over 2,100 guys, post 9-11 guys and gals surveyed, 96% of them, brother, said I experienced more stress than I thought I would during my transition. Right? That's a big number, dude. Yeah, yeah everybody. So reduce the stress. Now, I'm not saying this is a silver bullet, but what I'm saying is, is it's intentional. It's about 90 minutes of your life, and it's the whole second career. Most of us, man, you take a uniform off, brother, you got as much gas in a tank, if not more, on the second career. Mm. And here's another thing I would tell vets, too. I tell them all the time, that integrity thing that we have, that thing, dude, this is free agency out here. They're just winning games. If I just talked to a retired chief two weeks ago about this, she's like, hey man, so I made it about 18 months in my third gig out. I've been out about four or five years. Uh, I think I need to jump again. What are they going to think? And I'm like, man, who cares? As long as you can say, hey, I'm learning and I'm parlaying or leveraging what I'm learning into the next level. Yeah. Then I'm going to go pay for a team that throws a bigger signing bonus at me and one that's bent on winning some rings. Yeah. What am I, what are we doing here if we're not here to win pennants and rings and stuff, right? Yeah. Civilians don't care, man. They don't care if you do 20 years with them, 40 years with them. There's no integrity thing like that. So I'm not saying that that wasn't valuable for us. It made us who we are and it'll make you committed to your job and to your team and the people you work with will sense that. It will be a force multiplier. They'll, they won't, there's not even a word in the CivDiv for that force multiplication. But dude, they sure know it when they see it. They're like, well, the last nine dudes I hired don't have that. Like, what's, this guy's magic. Mm. And that's really the key. So if you got to jump every 18 months, who cares? And that's normal in the workplace. Yeah, oh, there's yeah. no gold watch anymore. No. Yeah, you're not doing that. In fact, I think um, what I've realized is getting those segments in the population of the turnover helps kind of breed for the company culture. Like, Hey, what do we want here? H how are we recruiting in the future? Or, Hey, that was beneficial. Um, let's never lose that again. You know? So it's, 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 that's super interesting, man. And that, do you talk about those processes in your book 
um, like, cause I, I look at your book as like a, a TM, like a technical manual for, yeah. for all of the preemptive things that you can kind of get knocked out technically before you get assessed. Yeah. It, so t- let's actually talk about the book. Like what was the intent of the book from the very get go? When did you write it? And then uh, tell us about it. So the book really is a culmination. Uh, you know, I, I hate to put a bunch of extra gravity around it, but it really is the culmination of my life's work. So the last 10 or 15 years of my life has been, you know, even when I was at university, I help all students. Yeah. But the veteran students obviously are a special place in my heart. I was that veteran student who took about two and a half, two and a half years to figure out what the heck that meant, a veteran student. And I'm sitting in a class with kids that are, you know, even if they're two, four years younger than you, Dude, they haven't been deployed. They haven't been downrange. They haven't stood a watch zero four to zero eight. They got no idea mm. what responsibility and accountability is in a rubric with a paper due in six weeks, bro. And you guys are whining about it. Come mm. on. Man. Yeah. Like, you know. So um, even at university, there, there was a special place in my heart for my veteran students. Like, hey, bro, I know you're having some trouble adapting. Hey, sister, I know. Here's some things you can think about. Here's some things you can try. If you're in a class and you don't dig it and it's an elective class, go get in a different elective class, man. If you don't like that class, maybe like art history, like, you know. So um, the book really became a culmination of after helping thousands of vets, like, hey, why do you think you lost the job interview or, you know, your story or, hey, dude, uh, I'm sorry it's been eight months. You've been out with the job and you nailed it, Mike. I was so young and ignorant brother. And so unself-aware and so immature, I couldn't even articulate what the pain was mm. that one dark night where I proved to be a coward right? mm-hmm. and I couldn't pull a trigger. And it really was, I had lost all sense of purpose, mission, identity. When you've mattered, like really mattered to somebody on your left, right? To the mission, to the ship, to the team, to the, and then you don't, mm-hmm. you're Mike, you're Eric, you're, they don't care if you show up. They don't care if you're in a gutter. They don't, they don't care they probably don't even notice because mm. they're in their Excel spreadsheets or whatever. That's a really weird, wicked, amorphous place to be, mm. you know? So the book really is, it's been called an MBA in your pocket. It's the same stuff I teach a freshman or a sophomore trying to go into accounting or finance or sales or whatever. Hey man, here's what marketing does. Here's what accounting does. Here's what a P&L is. Here's what, how a P&L connects to a balance sheet. Here's why you even care what a balance sheet is, dude. Mm. I'm not going to make you a PhD in finance, but if you know what that stuff is and you get hired into this company and you can ask smart questions about that stuff until you figure out what it is and you can learn to start applying that stuff, just like you, you know, with the working box and the process and how do you validate the process? That's all you're doing. Mm. The book is literally, like you said, it's a field manual. Here's the process. Here's the words they use. That's a bulkhead. That's a deck. That's an overhead or that's a latrine. That's not a bathroom. That's a head. If you're on a ship, it's literally that simple. And it's not a word trick. It's the civilians call the same stuff. We talk about something different. Here's a perfect example, Mike. In the language of management, leadership means something. I'm a leader. That means you're an executive, a vice president or whatever. That's what it means. So first of all, when you walk up, when you show up for the interview, you're like, I'm going to lead this and lead that, lead everything else. Give me something to lead. What they heard is, oh, great. Somebody else to bark orders and do no work. Great. Mm. You know what a PNL is? Well, you can't be the executive if you don't want a PNL is. Do you have any industry experience? You don't? Well, you can't be the executive. The other thing too, is we talk about leadership. 
and we'll, you'll get a letter that says you're underqualified or we hired somebody more qualified. And you think, I'm pretty intelligent. Mm. I'm pretty sure when I read that job description, I felt like I could do that. Mm. You know, and to your, to your story, I got 20 years doing it, right? What you don't realize is managers in organizations plan what we're going to do, the standards, the norms, the culture, the, ben- uh, the, the benefits, the standards of performance, the metrics. We then organize the resources, which we give to the people as we lead them in execution of our plan to our standards, and we control the whole thing. Make sure performance stays on plan so we hit the metrics, because that's what we, the manager, are being tasked to do from the organizational standpoint. So when you only talk about your deep experience leading, I only heard 25% of the story, mm. but I'm interviewing for a 100% solution. Now, let me ask you something, Mike. And I know this is going to seem silly, but role play with me for a second. Do you have deep experience planning stuff and setting culture and norms and expectations and standards and coaching and training people and counseling people how to do achieve those things? For sure. Yeah. Do you have tons of experience horse trading with the quartermasters and the supply guys and gals like to get stuff you need to do mission because missions like in three days. Hmm. Do you have any experience controlling performance when it's substandard or not up to performance and we're not going to meet mission and getting it to mission readiness? Hmm. But dude, when we only talk about a quarter of our experience, that's how you can get a letter that says you're not experienced or you're underexperienced. You didn't talk about your ability to plan and organize and control in addition to your. Yeah. The execution uh, paragraph of the five paragraph mission. That's right. Or or the order is is the most significant because it's the one that's the coolest. It's the one nobody wants to talk about service and support command that's and right. signal, that's you know, because right. it's, it's all the sub paragraphs of support stuff. But I want to talk about how we did the raid or how we did the ambush and, you know, all the post op stuff that was the mission complete. Um, that's interesting because I, you know, I'd never thought about that from a, even the logistical pieces of that where, you know, like I, I ran a 12 weight program, which is a congressionally ma- mandated counterterrorism program. And at the strategic or at the, I guess at the, at the, uh, strategic level of counterterrorism, that's an all inclusive, uh, very comprehensive, uh, strategic plan. And so you have a budget allocation, you, you're doing operational taskings, but you're doing logistical taskings, which is a 12 eight is actually a logistical exercise because without the support mechanism, it doesn't exist. Right. Because capability, you could have all the capacity in the world, but you can't develop the capability without the logistical train. Yep. And so I was that guy who was like, oh yeah, I could teach these guys how to kill bad guys and, and do raids and day and night and all the technical, like the MTO of it, I was capable of doing. But then I was like, oh, wait, we got to, we actually have a PL. Like we have to, <laughs> we have to keep a log, a spreadsheet of all the things. And I never, when I line up my resume, even my resume reflects action. It reflects, um, result. So it's like, you know, bronze stars and it's like combat and it's, it's a uh, sniper competitions and it's like the best bullet points for my NCOERs, yep. but it has nothing to do with the big phases of, uh, what it takes to succeed in business. Uh, like you just said, like the logistical piece, the finance piece. And that was always missing that, that, that was what now that I reflect on my specific circumstance with the, the, the physical security thing, they wanted a guy not to go out to sites. Cause I was envisioning, I get the truck, I get to go to sites, I get to visit, visit the sites and then create a, like a, a tactical plan. And they weren't looking for that. 
No. They wanted the guy who's going to get the budget and then allocate the appropriate funds for specific requirements in the areas. Yep. And now I'm like, even just right now in hindsight, I'm like, oh God, that, now that makes sense. You know, and even think about your own experience. So it doesn't matter now that you're doing CEO stuff. It doesn't even matter whether it was the battalion or whether it's field craft or whether it's whatever. I can have people problems. I can have supply chain problems. I can have communication problems. Uh, there's about six or eight buckets of problems that can eat your lunch, regardless of what organization you're running. So when you talk about your ability, and, and you mentioned something I think that's key to storytelling or selling any solution to anybody. If I'm trying to sell you that I'm your solution, hire me, I'm the last interview you got to hold. You can't assume that they can articulate the problem that's causing their pain. So here's the problem I was staring at. Here's the solution me and my guys and gals implemented. Now here's all the cool results stuff that I got awarded and accoladed and whatever. Not only was my solution so great, but it was so BA, dude. I got like this and that and this and that. Now you've not left it to chance that they see the value of Mike or his accolades. Because you gave them context. They saw the problem. They saw a solution. They're like, oh my God. I'm having a problem almost just like that. How do I, how do I get Mike to come help me with my problem? Yeah. Cause it's not about Mike, dude. They're hiring you to help them. Mm. They've got a problem. That's why they're hiring. Yeah. And notice that, um, it, you know, early on, even when I had Philcraft, I got hired by Oracle to do, um, um, some consultant work with them. And I was, I was doing a speaking engagement, uh, with their sales force at, uh, headquarters in San Francisco. Um, but I was also, uh, you know, speaking, um, right before Mark Hurd came out, but I was also, um, helping them with team building and all this, all these problems that they had, which were, you know, I remember we went into the sales team and they had different levels for different sales, uh, elements. And like, there's a cubicle and they're how they're organized is there's a cubicle team and that team is recognized in title. So this is like a red team or blue team. And I, they had a piece of construction paper, like an eight by 10 or eight by 11. And they had the people's names in the team. Um, and this was like red team and it had stars. And so if you had a crush month, you got a star and whoever had the most stars wins. And they, they came to me and they said, Hey, we're going to show you around. And just, if you identify problems or whatever, just let us know. And the first thing I did was like, how are you, uh, how you are, how are you positioning teams? And they said, well, we got color scheme. I was like, yeah, but every, nobody's wearing the same uniform. Nobody's <laughs> got tags that say red team. There's no camaraderie in the, no the identity, team, yep. no identity. And then you're using like kindergarten tactics for yeah. who's doing the best. <laughs> yeah. I said, you're an Oracle. Like you have technology. Like, why don't you get like a, a big screen TV with the little horses that run um, and, and you can get like a user interface where whoever's selling that day, you could see them ahead of everybody else. Beautiful. They made seven sales instead of four because John made four and you're like, Ooh, I need to get that sell. And they, they implemented a lot of this stuff. And I'm like, Oh my God, you crushed it. Like these guys, and they pay me a lot of money for it. I'm like, these dudes, like they don't even know basics of team building and they're a multi-billion dollar company. How is this even possible? And yeah. I, I'm assuming that's your experience in the workforce as, as a whole. Yes. Yeah. It, yeah. So, you know, and uh, before we leave the book, one last thing that I think makes the book really cool is so, 
hey, man, I'm going to read this dry, like, word game thing Doc's playing, right? Like, uh, you know, this is what a PNL is, and this is what a work breakdown structure is, and this is how it matters. And I mean, I weave a bit of a, you know, story about mm. it. But I've got 39 other business officers. Mm. So uh, our, our veterans who have become business entrepreneur guys and gals, and oh. they share, like, hey, this is what PNL means to me and how I use it. Jennifer Volbrecht, uh, first female crew chief in Iraq, man, you know, uh, door gunning gal. I mean, she's just pipe it her, dude. And she is running a multi-million dollar company now. And you think, man, how do you go from the desert? And 10 years later, you're, you know, like you with Fieldcraft and Evan with Black Rifle. Like, it's just amazing. And, and I love firemen. I love police officers. I love high school teachers. I love EMTs. But dude, just because you were a gunslinger doesn't mean that's the only option you get when you come back, right? Yeah. Like, look at all the veterans that go out and run multi-million dollar, 300 person headcount. I mean, you know, I, I don't even know what Black Rifle's up to, but it's hundreds and hundreds. Now, yeah, yeah, over 600 now. So mm -hmm. that's insane, dude. They're seven years old, man. I mean, I know civilians that have been 20 years on the pond of experience that haven't achieved that yet. So there's all these vignettes that kind of say like, Hey, this really dry topic Eric's talking about, here's what it looks like in my business. Mm. So that you kind of get uh, vignettes from the field, if you will. You get to see application. And I think that makes it really rich. And then every single author in the back of the book has an about me section. So if what they said in their vignettes really resonated with you, you can look at them and learn more about them. And they, they tell you how to contact them or whatever. So that's, that makes the book a really fun project is it's, it's a living document. I run into guys like you at Philcraft or whatever. Guys reach out all the time, say, hey, dude, when are you running the next press? Like, uh, I got a vignette. I really think this would go great with comms. In fact, they just did it with uh, Marty Moak Martinez and James Spartan Feltz, so two guys out of the Ranger Battalion. They're doing this thing, JT214. They help veterans talk about their businesses to increase their revenue. Yeah. So they go in and do your like digital marketing stuff. Some veteran business owners might not even know digital marketing could help you increase your revenue. If you're interested, these guys wrote out a vignette yeah. on here's how it works. Here's how you do it. Here's, and if you have any questions, here's my stuff, my contact information in the back. So to me, that's really what kind of ices the cake, dude, is it's more like a story of application, not just this dry field manual of, you know, read this page and put me to sleep, you know, because yeah. I got insomnia. Well, I love the fact, I mean, it's like, it's like the tribe of mentors thing, you know, with Tim Ferriss. It's, you have all of these people who have proofs of concept and you could follow those paths. I mean, selfishly, when I, you know, when I left the agency, um, when Evan, I was working with on an operational level, then he started doing business ahead of me. And so I saw his business, you know, scaling and a lot of the questions, I used him as a mentor, like, Hey, I'm not afraid to ask you. Cause we, we would ask questions of each other operationally. So what, what, what lessons do I need to learn here? So I don't make the same mistakes. And I think that's, out of all the things that I've done, that's the most beneficial. Because even like this podcast, somebody is going to be listening to this going, oh man, this, well, this doesn't sound as hard as it could be, or it will be. And I'm going to get some uh, education on it. I think that's super important. That, that whole aspect of it, which I, I, I think I saw a name, Tony Morrow. Or, yeah, yeah, one of our Canadian Armed Forces guys. Yeah, yeah. I was reading about him, and I just I panning through the book, and I'm like, Dude, that's so cool because that's going to, that is the icing on the cake. That's where you're yeah. going to make your money. Yeah. yeah. If, if, uh, if 
when did you write that book and when are you revising it? Because you mentioned yesterday that you're going to revise it. I imagine one, this always can evolve. Yep. And two, it just, it's occurring to me, like even what you're saying with this program doesn't just apply to veterans, even though it's specifically pointed for that. And I get that, but everybody could use this kind of information, right? It's, you know, Mike, it's really funny you'd say that. So a couple months ago, I'm, I'm past treasurer of the Florida Association of Veteran-Owned Businesses, right? Mm -hmm. Because veteran businesses are near and dear to my heart. Like we're a brotherhood, but we can be an even tighter brother and sisterhood. Like, Mm -hmm. hey man, let's be veterans that figure out how to apply what we learn and go make millions of bucks helping millions of people get stuff they like, right? Let's, let's, let's go, let's go have some fun with this now. Let's, let's get paid for what we learned how to do, right? Mm -hmm. Um, so he's talking to me and I realize who he is, Mike. I'm looking at him as he's talking to me and I realize, and I say, did you play ball for the hurricanes back in uh, like 10s, 12s, 15s, maybe? And he's like, yeah, I did. I'm like, coach? So the, the guy's now doing a speaking circuit of high schools and stuff and, and, and you know, community college kids and, and athletes that get hurt out of pro sports. Oh, wow. Because what he realized yeah. is he heard about the book. He's leafing through the book and he's like, dude, I have the same problem. So I got a kid, maybe he did well in school, maybe he didn't, maintained his scholarship, got out, hey, I'm going to make millions of dollars. And he gets his ACL whacked first practice in camp, right? So he's like done, he's sidelined. Now his stock is going down. Three years he's washed out and he had some agent that did nothing mm. but hawk whatever money he did make. Now I'm not saying that horror story is everybody. Yeah. But his realization was, hey man, I think your stuff could apply to this subset of the population too that has this very specific mm. skill set and this very specific standards of performance and brotherhood mm. and sisterhood and and then all of a sudden you're in an environment where none of that stuff matters anymore. Yeah. Hey man, your yeah. cubicle's over there, bro. Is your phone working? Did your, did your computer come on? Cool. The cafeteria is down the hall if you get hungry. Yeah. And that's the kind of care and love feeding you get, right? Where yeah. you walk in a locker room or you walk in a team room or something like, dude, that's not how we take care of each other. Right? Mm. So, so yeah, he and I are going to start having some conversations now about, okay, how do we tailor this or tweak this? How do we help you develop a curriculum for you and your target group mm. to see if we can apply any of these lessons learned, right? So uh, I, I think it's so interesting because I think what I've noticed even in our culture and our business, Philcraft, is everybody in some form or fashion it has some kind of thing they're dealing with, whether it's being disaffected from a job or a purpose, even more so now because of the vaccine thing. I mean, yeah. people are texting me like like crazy, like, hey man, uh, I'm about to lose my job. And so you have these populations that are similar in, like they don't have to be the military or a professional athlete to, to be in a life-changing circumstance right. where they had experience in one field, now they're laid off. Mm-hmm. And now they have to figure it out and re-navigate that discussion. Um, I, well, I think it's just overall beneficial, even in the technical understanding, because if you're a new entrepreneur, um, if you're a person who wants to learn about business or how to become a program manager, all this information is like, I mean, it's optimized because you've spent years, decades figuring it out and yep. then also teaching it. Why, why accounting out of curiosity, PhD, analytical mind? So, uh, well, I mean, I'm I, quite an analytical guy. I overthink everything. Ask my wife and my kid, they'll tell you. Um, 
but I figured out early on, if I could speak time and money and I could use that integrity that the service instills in you, you take care of other people's time and uh, money really well. You always kind of got a job, right? Cause there's always people out there that, that will steal stuff. Yeah. So, um, it, it just kind of fit. And my mom is a retired accounting professor. So there was kind of some undue influence there maybe. Um, but I realized Mike that not, not only do I like taxes, bro, I don't, I try to minimize the amount that I pay, right? I pay my fair share, but yeah. you know, like, Hey, if I don't have to give you 78 cents out of every dollar and we could just kind of maybe make it 62 cents yeah. and it's all legal and on the up and up using the rules that the big guys use. Hey, let's figure out how to make it 62 cents. Right. Interesting. So I figured out, I like the business piece better. I like the accountants doing the accounting thing to show me the data on the kinds of decisions we're making and whether we're doing any good and are we growing the company? Do I have finances to go fund the next project? Like, how do I go help more people? How do I help, you know, more vets? How do I, so I figured out that the finance part of it, the forward looking part was a lot more passion laden for me, um, more performance oriented instead of rearward looking. So, yeah, but you have the, that's, one thing I've never paid attention to until of recent was finances because I figured we're making a profit. Yeah. And if we're making a profit, we're good. My focus needs to be on creative inputs and yep. tactics and getting out in front of content. And now after spending a lot of time in books and understanding that, that knowledge is a superpower because when you understand that, like <laughs> I didn't know, like I've, we got a, we got hit up for like 160 G's in taxes. And I was like, that doesn't seem right, but okay, that's, that's how this rolls. <laughs> we brought in a consult, consultant and they're like, if you're paying 160 grand in taxes, something is very wrong. And then they scrubbed the books and we're like, oh yeah, you just need 50 K in taxes. And I'm like, what? Yeah. Like this isn't like a game that everybody kind of understands. And these are definitive like gates and you have to dig in the weeds to be able to articulate. And then I'm like, holy crap, dude, if you don't know this, you're not going to run a successful business. If you don't know the rules of the game, brother, you can't play the game competitively. It's insane. Right? Yeah. And most don't want to deal with it because they trust and that say that uh, you shouldn't trust your CPA. But in our case, um, that's what messed us up. We had the wrong CPA that was doing the, the books the wrong way. Yep. And our business and all of its diversity is a different animal comparatively to other simplified businesses. And we were, we were miscategorized, which caused a lot of, of that burden. And you CEO yeah. guy don't have to be smart enough to figure out how to categorize it. You yeah. just got to be able to say, Hey, you know, this category thing. Yeah. Um, that's like a 48% tax burden. Mm. I didn't make 48% big number to have that size of a tax burden. Yeah. Can we look at our categories? Maybe I know you don't have to know how to categorize it. You just have to know, you know, what president Kennedy always say. I don't have to be the smartest guy in the room. I just have to know how to ask the questions of the right, the right questions of the smart people in the room. Yeah. And they'll figure out what the right answer is. Yeah. And then they'll present me with the information. I'll make a decision. So for me, uh, my business attorney, Tom Dolney, I love the guy, fellow surfer. He once said to me, he said it, he sends me an invoice. I'm like, brah, come on, man. That's, you know, the number, Tom, what about the friends and family? He's like, Hey man, you think hiring a professional is expensive, brother. Have you ever tried hiring an amateur? And I'm like, yeah, actually, that's how I got to you. And he just chuckled, right? Like, that's what, like that's fair so enough, true, man. What, why, what, out of curiosity, because uh, maybe I, I, I've already learned a lot, but why Florida? 
Uh, I grew up in Florida, by the way. No kidding. Where at? Uh, I grew up in Port Orange in South Daytona, but yeah, yeah, Daytona yeah. Beach, Florida. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, there's a great uh, tiki bar uh, restaurant in Port Orange. So, um, so I don't admit this too much anymore, but originally a California kid. Yeah. Um, I, me too. I, I mean, I was born in Cali- Fort Ward, California. I don't think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fort Ward. Um, yeah. yeah. So Orange County, Anaheim guy, Mickey Mouse's original backyard, mm-hmm. you know. Anaheim's not beautiful, the, actually. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's like still good. Yeah. yeah. I've still got family there, but so uh, by way of Indiana, my boy's actually a Hoosier, but so Florida is not a very direct proxy for Southern California weather. Mm. As far as like Tex-Mex and mm-hmm. 72 degrees and blue oh, yeah. skies every day and, you know. But I'll tell you what, dude, the lifestyle I have, Mike, the quality of life now. So you've heard about it. I mean, I finally at 52, brother, I feel so blessed. I'm 52 like next week. I'm so blessed. I figured out how to get paid to be me. I mean, I dressed up for you, dude. I'm wearing closed toed shoes, right? Yeah. Usually it's flip flop. So, <laughs> um, you know, I live a block away from the beach. Wow. My, I, my kid and I go surfing or fishing before we go to school. Wow. You know, um, he does Halloween at, you know, Universal Studios. I mean. Dude, that would be a $5 million a year lifestyle in San Diego. 100%, yeah. And in Florida, dude, you know, Florida, if, if you're not in the big metro cities, yeah. it's a real fair place to live. Yeah. As far as income taxes, balanced budget, um, and especially the place I live, Brevard County, I live out on a little barrier island town. It's like Mayberry, dude. Mm. Like six cops. Wow. Half the fire department's volunteer. Uh, but you go right across the bridge of the mainland, and there's everything you want. Right? Yeah. So really cool place to live. Really cool quality of life. Um, they love patriots. They love veterans. We just did two months ago, the mayor of the city, Mayor Dave, great. He shuts the entire main street down. It's only like eight blocks long, but he shuts the entire thing down and we do a hundredth year birthday for a World War II vet. Wow. Brings the entire city out. All two fire trucks, wow. man. Every one of the nine cop cars. Like, That's you know awesome. what I mean? It's cool to live in a place like that. Interesting. I, and I, I, what's crazy is I never thought of Florida that way until of recent, <laughs> um, because of the governor and, and like people think, um, Navy vet, well, they, they try Uda. to, they, well, they don't realize like this dude's like, this dude's one of the most intelligent dude. Like he's an operator, meaning like he's been downrange, you know, he's, he's a guy who's done the operational side of things. I mean, he was a Jag, but th- they also don't realize that like the dudes, like it th- didn't he go to Harvard, Yale, or he went to. Somewhere super smart, yeah, super, yeah. Super, super smart to get his uh, his law degree, and he has the education and the intellect, but also the experience, and he's doing the right things. I mean, all my big time um, mentors as entrepreneurs who had you know were in Silicon Valley who had hundred million dollar companies, they've all moved to Florida, yep. and it's like I even I even uh, was thinking about it, like man, maybe I should start looking at just like a little property there, just in case. Because even real estate still not that bad comparatively. Nope. Like this place, fastest growing county, most expensive in the in the in the state, fourth in the nation for fastest growing, insane. It's like impossible to get land. Well, it is gorgeous. I mean, driving through here, I was like, holy cow, man! This yeah, place, you know, insane. taking pictures all the way in. So you know, send to the missus. But you went uh, up Provo. You went up the Provo Canyon right here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's epic. So, and, and you know, a lot of people, and I was ignorant, I've only been in Florida about five or six years now. I didn't know this man, but like you get outside the metro areas, it's ranches, two, 300 acres, it's horse farms. It's now they don't, the ranches don't look like the ones here. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. But it's still a horse ranch. 
there's puma running around in the brush. Uh-huh. There's crocodiles, alligators, six and a half feet long. I mean, lots of hunting and fishing. In fact, the, uh, our shooting range, Frog Bones, mm-hmm. down there in, in Melbourne, Florida, half the staff that works there. I mean, everything they serve. So half of the place is a shooting range. Half of the place is like little diner, bar, whatever. So you can go in and shoot on Sunday morning and go have breakfast or whatever, right? Well, half of the stuff on the menu all the time is like fresh out of whatever swamp they were in last night. That's awesome. There's fresh frog legs. There's fresh gator. There's fr- it's incredible. And they charge you, you know, 10, 12 bucks for a sandwich. It's like a, I know. it's just a really cool place to live, man. One out of every five vets in Brevard County is, is uh, one out of every five citizens in Brevard County is a veteran. It's just south of Patrick Space Force Base now, which yeah. is a pretty cool sign. It's just a really neat place to live. I've, oh, I've never yeah. lived anywhere like it. Really? So you're committed. You're in, you're in Florida. You ain't moving. The only move in the future, brother, if there is one, is a sailboat. That's, that's on my bucket Minimalist. Minimalist. Yeah. That's, yeah. The, that's the true off-grid lifestyle. Because, like, yeah, you can't. There's nothing more off-grid and more sustainable than being able to get on a boat and internationally travel throughout the world. Because that's, that's off-grid living, man. And we live in a great country. I mean, you can get there with an RV, too. Yeah. You know, my yeah. COO lives in Texas and he's got a big old RV, comes sees us once a year. But so, but, but you're right that it's the philosophy. It's that lifestyle. The objective is still the same. Like, Hey, I'm the master and the commander. Like I set the course and I can go there anytime I want. And it's still that pioneer spirit. You still have that capability. Yeah. Do you do it every other weekend? Probably not. But if yeah. you wanted to, you could. Yeah. It's a pretty liberating place to be for me, considering some of the places I've been. I tell you what, man couple times a week, I just think, wow, man, how did I get here? And thank God I got here. And the battle scars were, some of them were real deep, but man, I'd take every single one of them again, you know, just, I can't believe I ended up here. Yeah. Uh, Just so thankful and blessed. And, and I, I, I I get paid to be me, man. That's awesome. I I mean, how cool is that? Right. Yeah. That's, that's like living the dream. Yeah, it is. is. Um, how do, how do people get a hold of, the education and you have like a contact information out there, like the website, everything. What's that look like? Yeah. 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 So if you're interested in like the training or the workbook, go to vetstopm.com. And it's uh, two, the, the number vets, two. Yeah. V E T S number two PM.com yep. forward slash less stress. You get that workbook I was talking about. Yep. If you want a copy of the book, you know, I finally figured out, man, Amazon number one bestseller, Mike. Uh, so I left it on there. So the civilians can buy it for 50 bucks. But I decided that if I really believe that the degree of a veteran's transition success is hinges on their ability to translate success. Yeah. You can get a copy of the free book, man. Digital autograph copy of the book. Go to vetspm.com forward slash CM. Thank you. Awesome. And I'll send you a copy of the book. You know, it's cool, digital, man. right? Yeah, so there's yeah. no shipping, handling, all that nonsense. Yeah. But we don't have to play that game. I just send you the book. And you could read so, it immediately. Yeah. Yeah. Right off the game. Are you doing a podcast yet? Um, no, because I got a day job I really dig, uh-huh. and I'm not very technically adept. Yeah, you should do. Hey, a dude, podcast. put these headphones on. Talking to this mic, I Mike, I can handle that part. Yeah, you should do a pod, like. I mean, this is a pretty simple setup. But, yeah, yeah. But I feel like these things, especially even like pro tips on business, um, because I can go down a rabbit hole and asking you so many questions. Because there's. I, out of my own curiosities and trying to navigate this, I already get a sense that you'll have some kind of experience that will be able to do that. I think I should start one, one of those, or we'll just do lots of Q and A's and figuring it out. Cause 
Well, I guess now I got an informal mentor now, don't I? Yeah. So, I need, <laughs> hey, I updated my combat grip on all your content, I'll, brother, so I love it. I'll mentor you for this, and you just mentoring me for business. Right on. <laughs> That's a good in, in kind services, brother. I love it. Yeah, man. I, I appreciate you being on the podcast and appreciate all that you're doing for, you know, veterans, period, but people, period, on all this stuff, because it's, it's not easy. I mean, running a business is the most difficult but rewarding things I've ever done. And I just hope uh, that more veterans um, take that leap of faith and, you know, whether it's a program manager or an executive position or starting their own business, I, I hope they get out there and get the best use out of their experience. Yep. Yeah. Me too. Me too. I, I, mean, I really appreciate you having me up here at the HQ. This, is a, this has been quite a treat to drive, uh, you know, getting the chat with you over the podcast. I mean, this is a, quite a hoot. Yeah, so, we'll, we'll be able to talk uh, offline about I need to line you up for this product or what is it called? Uh, Let's get agile, scrum, baby. Scrum stuff. All right. Thanks, man. All right, dude. Peace.